0: Welcome to the network radio. Today's guest is Dr. David Hamilton, who worked in the pharmaceutical industry for four years after gaining his PhD. Having discovered that a large number of people were being cured by a placebo drug, a dummy drug made of chalk in most cases, he realised the true power of the mind and the effect it has over the body. Now a best-selling author, published in several countries around the world, he now travels around the world offering workshops to help people understand this powerful concept very warm welcome, David, to the show. It's great to have you on here. Thank you very much. Um, it's actually wonderful to have a scientist on here, a PhD, um, a spiritual ally, as I like to call him. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and, you know, you guys are growing in number, which is fantastic. And a lot of people in the spiritual movement already believe in this stuff, but they've never really had the tools to, to kind of endorse it, have they, really? Yeah, not, not
1: really. It's great that a lot of stuff's coming out now you know, which has really given people a lot of kind of faith in themselves.
0: Yeah, that's right. And we're not going nuts. <laughs> Absolutely not. No. <laughs> so anyway, before we get going, um, obviously the mind, body, spirit people have very kindly put you my way. Um, you are in London, I believe. Is it, is it next week on 26? It is, yes, yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm doing a, a two-hour workshop there. Exactly. So Two. is that on the 26th of May? It's on the 26th, yeah. I'm really yeah. looking
1: forward to it. I, I love when I do events in London, especially at the Mind, Body, Spirit Festival. It's one of my, my favourite things to do, actually.
0: So, I mean, what are you talking about?
1: Uh, why, why kindness is good for you. It's a kind of workshop on all the different reasons, really, why a uh, being kind, being showing caring behaviour, eh, whether that's compassion or even counting your blessings, how that actually has an impact on the health of your body. So how it impacts your brain and how it impacts your heart, and even teaching some little tech, some little techniques that actually can help people to to eh, to generate those kind of health benefits in their own bodies.
0: I know you've got quite a lot of books out there. You do... 4 and counting. (laughs) Yeah. It's fantastic. Because I've seen you speak... Actually, I think I saw you two years ago. And um, what I found really interesting is... Because I always want to give the the listeners some context around your background and where you came from. Because you were in the pharmaceutical industry. And you realised that placebos were working for people in quite you know, a high percentage of cases. So I think just before we get going, if you could just sort of give people a bit of feedback on your background and what got you into the kind of spiritual thing and what pushed you to get the message out there, really?
1: Well, really, what, what happened was I worked for one of the world's biggest pharmaceutical companies and my, my main job was was developing drugs for cardiovascular diseases, which is diseases of, of, of the heart. And, and I also worked a bit on cancer but predominantly on on the heart disease drugs. And what fascinated me is when we'd sent the drugs for for medical trials, you know, you might expect 80 people out of 100 to get better on the actual drug or 70 people out of 100. But when we compared them with people who got placebos, which really, I mean, placebos generally are made of nothing more than sugar or chalk, you know, blackboard chalk, Mm. and... uh, and yet so many people, sometimes 60, 70% more people got better on the blackboard chalk yeah. because they thought they were getting the drugs. And for me, that was much more interesting than actually making drugs. So while I, for the, the four years that I was there, you know, I, I really wasn't that interested in making the drugs because I was so fascinated with with the power of the mind, where all my colleagues were saying, look at that, the drug is 80% effective. And I'm going, but look at the placebo, it's 70% effective. Isn't that more interesting? <laughs>
0: So, did you have an interest in the more esoteric side of things before you was in the industry, or did you just become- I, I,
1: no? I, I did actually. I, I've been kind of interested in that stuff for years. It really, for me, it really started when I was a,
0: a kid because
1: my my mum had took postnatal depression after my my youngest sister Lynn was born. So I was about six, five or six years old at the time. And for years, I could tell that my mum was depressed. She never let on, you know. But mm. I could tell, you know, my mum was too much too caring for the kids. You know, she didn't show us any signs really, but I could feel that something wasn't right. And I remember, I was on a, a trip with. I just got just started high school. I was eleven years old, and the school te- one of the school teachers took us on a trip to the local library. And I know this sounds a bit corny, but a book actually fell off the shelf and. Mm. You know, I, I might have nudged the shelf or not, I don't know, but the book fell off and it was called The Magic Power of Your Mind. And I thought, oh, that'll help my mum. Now, having, I just had a, I just had a feeling it would help my mum, but having never been in a public library before, I didn't realise you were supposed to join the library and stamp the books out, so I just put it in my bag. <laughs> <laughs> 28 years later, we oh, still have that book.
0: That'd be quite an expensive find by now, probably. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah,
1: yeah. And, but, you know, it really helped my mum. I mean, it yeah. didn't give her a cure, it didn't, erase all any pain overnight but what it did give her was inner strength and hope and determination that if if she continues with a positive attitude then she can get through pretty much anything so I grew up in, a, in an environment where my mum would often use phrases like it's the thought that counts or, or you know mind over matter or it's all in the mind and, and all these kind of positive emotive things and and I think that kinda that focus on the mind power of the mind led me into reading stuff like paranormal things and ESP things and and even started reading some spiritual books. So when I joined the pharmaceutical industry, I guess it's absolutely no surprise whatsoever that the first time I, I got to see some uh, medical trial results, I was more interested in the mind aspect than the actual drug aspect. So that's really I guess what happened that got me into it.
0: Yeah, so imagine there's people in the pharmaceutical industry realise what you've found, but because of I suppose the status quo and the way things work in the scientific community, they're not as brave to step out and admit oh, it. Yeah. Oh yeah, I got
1: I mean, there's lots of people that know. I mean, I did a talk. In fact, one of the times I spoke at the Mind Body Spirit Festival was in Manchester eh, back in 2008, and. And where I, when I was in the pharmaceutical industry, I I worked only 25 miles from Manchester, and there must have been about 15 people from that company that I worked with in the back row. I could see some of them, I recognised some, and some weren't. And and, you know, a few of them came up to me at the end and and shook my hand and said, That's really, really interesting. It's not that they don't want to leave, they just find it fascinating. You know, a lot of scientists find this really fascinating. They just, I guess, that they don't want to make a career out of it so to speak like write books on it like like I'm doing it's just something that they they quite like they find interesting
0: So you've you've observed something and then you've kind of joined the dots with other Methods of teaching, um, much, yeah, yeah, and and the great thing is that you know you you present people um, the evidence to show that it works. I mean, that's what I want to lead on to now. Really, is some of the things you talk about wh- with the power of the mind and the way that you can change your cells, at the, you know, mm. the cellular level, um, and just sort of give some examples of that.
1: You know, what what fascinates me probably so much is when I first started giving talks and all this, a large number of people would come up to me and say, look, I had this serious illness and I healed myself with my mind. And then someone else did something, told me the same story, you know, different condition, but the same principles. And and all everyone was using pretty much the same techniques. So that's when I really started looking into this in a much more broad capacity. And you know, it turns out that one of the ways that I, I think visualization like that works is because the the mind, that sorry, the brain doesn't distinguish between whether something's really happening or whether you're just imagining it. And, and one of the best examples of this came from Harvard, uh, and what the what the Harvard uh, neuroscientists did is it had volunteers playing a a basic series of notes on a piano. So a basic scale using each of their fingers where they would go something like plonk, 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 plonk. And they had to do this over and over again, a repetition repetitively of the same thing for two hours straight. And they had to do it on five consecutive days. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Now each day, the scientist would look in at the brain. They would scan the brain and using a technique called transcranial magnetic stimulation which actually allows you to look at the individual areas connected to the finger muscles and see if they've actually changed and what they found is the areas the area of the brain connected to the finger muscles because they had been doing this, playing these notes over and over again, had indeed expanded and had grown substantially, you know some estimates are something in regions of 30 to 40 times increase in size but, but where it gets really interesting is a separate group of volunteers instead of actually playing the notes with their fingers on the piano they had to do it in their minds. So the first group actually sat in front of a piano and played the notes. The second group did it in their minds. So they had to go plop, 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 plop over and over again in their minds for two hours straight on the, again on the five consecutive days. But in, astonishingly the, the, the brain scans looked identical for those who had actually played the notes and those who had just done it in their minds. So in other words, the brain wasn't distinguishing between who was really playing the piano and who was just making it up in their mind. In other words, what you imagine is causing... S- You know, massive changes in the brain, you know, not just chemical changes in the brain, but actual structural changes in the brain. This is where the brain's structure is actually changing, you know, in a sense like a muscle. Many neuroscientists use that analogy that if you go to the gym, you exercise a muscle, the muscle gets bigger, it also becomes more dense. So the brain is quite similar that if you exercise certain parts of it, then those parts begin to grow.
0: So it makes you wonder, because obviously, if you do a lot of weight gain stuff, you need to eat a lot of protein and yeah. the right diet. So imagine, could I mean, could you do the training in your head and then imagine that you're eating loads of protein as well? I wonder. If <laughs> like know, that's a
1: that's a really good question because actually, many scientists have addressed really that exact thing. Uh, one of the, the key experiments, and instead of having volunteers uh, play a series of, of notes on the piano using all the fingers, they get them just to use one finger, and you just kind of flex the one finger. Now, you're not imagining protein or anything, but what they're they're doing here is one group of volunteers had to flex their little finger, the pinky, for uh, 15 minutes, straight 15 minutes, on five consecutive days for three months, and the scientists tested the strength of the finger. So at the start and at the end, they had a wee set of weights, and they lifted... uh, weights with a finger and it found out that after the three months their finger was 53% stronger and that's that's understandable because they're, they're actually working on flexing the finger but you can, it's no surprise to guess what the next group were doing, they had to do it in their minds so they had to just imagine flexing their little finger, not actually doing it but just imagine it but incredibly after doing this for 15 minutes a day, five days a week for three months their finger had got 35%
0: stronger and they had just done it all in their minds so... It's it's amazing, isn't it? Because even if you imagine it in your mind, you think, oh, that's a cop-out, that's easy to do. But, I mean, I've tried doing this in the past, and it's really hard to keep it going in your head, I isn't know,
1: it? I know, I know, I that, know, that's
0: often the challenge. And and for many people, you know, keeping
1: it going in the head is the challenge. And, and, and what they did in this kind of study, actually, they had them doing 15 seconds at a time, and then 20 seconds rest, 15 seconds 20 second rest so it's it's a bit easier that way because you're getting a wee rest in between each bout of visualization but there's many ways that you can adapt a way that you're visualizing something to make it easier and it's not as hard to keep up you know some people make them kind of funny add some wee elements of of comfort into them or wee laugh laughter parts into them
0: we mentioned you on our facebook page um a couple of weeks ago and um a lady put a comment on there saying that when she was younger, I'm sure she mentioned it was either a young kid had a cancer, or leukemia, something like that, anyway. And um, he, in his in his case, um, he cured himself. And the way he did it, apparently, was he was when he was playing Space Invaders, he was imagining that all the aliens were the bad cells in his body and he was shooting mm. them all away um, and it apparently cured him but it, i know you have to be careful when you we say things like that in case people jump on the bandwagon and have a go um, but it's quite an interesting thing isn't it that the power yeah of the yeah do you know i've
1: heard that type of story so many times i mean a large number of times it's amazing that so many people are using the same kind of strategies uh, and you picked up on a good a nice point there you know like be careful about saying these kind of things what I always say to people is when you're visualizing something like you know imagining the the, you know any bad cells I suppose are little aliens and you're blowing them up or whether you're melting tumors in your body or whatever eh, it doesn't mean that you have to give up your medication your drugs or your therapies you know I always recommend to people keep whatever you're doing keep doing it you know if, if you're meeting with a consultant once a month and keep meeting with a consultant do everything they tell you to do but in addition use your mind you're, you know I actually call visualization like this targeted positive thinking so in other words you're, you're targeting your positive thinking directly on the part of the body that you want to heal so you're not changing anything else because I guess whatever else you're doing whichever you know medication or whatever therapies, holistic therapies or so you're taking, you have to think. So what visualization or targeted positive thinking does is it tells you what to think about. So it's just really focusing your mind to supplement whatever else you're doing.
0: Yeah. So basically, I mean, we're like a biological machine, right? And um, the way we think appears to affect us at a cellular level. And um, I know from remembering what you spoke about a while back, a couple of years ago, that you've got a sort of techniques for changing the way we think to sort of help that.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, there's there, there's plenty of ways that you can, I mean, change the way that you think. I mean, classically, people ask me the question, you know, if I think negatively a lot, can I become more positive? And and immediately the very fact that they're asking the question suggests that they're actually motivated to do that mm. and, and there's a large number of ways to do it but one of my favourite actually is so incredibly simple It's there's a a, wee, a book called A Complaint-Free World and you can check out their website, complaint, a complaintfreeworld.org, and you get these wee purple bands and you put a band on your wrist you can order the bands from the internet, you get them free uh, and you put one on your wrist and it's a complaint bracelet and every time you complain and broadly what that means is every time you complain or moan or criticize someone or unfairly judge someone then uh, you've got to move your band from one wrist to the next wrist so and then you complain again or you moan or you criticize or you uh, you wallowing in negativity for example then you've got to take it off and put it on the other wrist again and you find yourself going through the day continually changing it from one to the next one wrist to the next but what that does for you is it absolutely makes it very clear how how you act and and how you think and what you're actually like most of the time I mean when I first got my band and here's me I give lectures on positive thinking Mm -hmm. and I changed my band about 10 times in the first day and and the challenge is to go sit, It's to go uh, 21 days without complaining. You know, it's, it's a 21-day challenge, really. And, and it actually took me about four or five months <laughs> to be able to go it. Because every time you If you get to the day 14 and you complain, then you've got to take your band off, put it to the other wrist and go right back to day one again. <clears throat> but what it, what it is is it's very, very highly effective for people to get them to change the way that they're thinking. And people often frequently report when they do something like this that they feel much better at the end, that they've actually trained themselves to be more optimistic, to be more positive. It doesn't mean be afraid of negative thoughts, don't think negatively. It's only a 21-day period. It's just a training thing, really, where it helps you to learn, to catch yourself, to become aware of the sort of things that you're thinking about. And when you become aware of what you're thinking about, you're more likely to be able to choose what you focus your mind upon. So that's probably one of my favourite yeah. There are many other things that you can do, but that's probably my favourite
0: one. So are humans addicted to emotions? And not only addicted, but is there some kind of chemistry or something that happens in the brain that actually mirrors the way we feel? So it creates more oh, of something? yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean...
1: Uh, Every, every state of emotion we feel has a corresponding equivalent in the brain and actually throughout the body. And, and I think many people may be familiar with the, the term a neuropeptide. And a peptide really is it's an umbrella term for a string, of, a string of amino acids in the body. And it could be a protein or it could be a hormone or it could be an enzyme. These are all different types of peptide. But you get a specific, you get a type called a neuropeptide and what that means is it has it does something in the body, but it also does something in the brain. So it has a like, kind of double role. It's present really all over the body, including the brain. And neuropeptides are often referred to as informational substances or even the biochemical equivalent of an emotion. So you feel like compassion, for example, uh, then there will be a neuropeptide or a, a couple of neuropeptides associated with that, that emotion. Uh, and what they do... What they do is is they, they bring about, they actually cause chemical changes in the body and throughout, you know, in the brain and throughout the body. If you feel like, basically, what it allows you to do, if you feel compassion, for example, it allows compassion to show up in the body, somewhere physically in the body. In other words, compassion can impact cells all throughout the body because the chemical equivalent of it. Uh, this this neuropeptide can actually circulate around your bloodstream, and it'll circulate around until it meets uh, some cells that it has an affinity with, and, and then it'll cause changes there. So, in other words, uh, these neuropeptides are one of the ways that the, the mind and the body uh, are united. But you can even become addicted to emotions because uh, the, there's there's neuropeptides or, or neurochemical substances that are that are the equivalent of a kind of good feeling that you get, you know, like if you get a high, like runners get a high when they're exercising a lot, but even people uh, experiencing happiness get a high as well, and that that the chemical equivalent of that is the brain's natural versions of morphine. So just like morphine and heroin, which are both opiate drugs, can be addictive, so the brain's natural versions of certain emotions
0: can also be addictive. It's kind of strange how the body works, isn't it? Because it's yeah. almost like it's it's like perpetually creating the things that you don't want and the things that you do want. So if obviously you obviously don't want to be depressed, but then you're teaching your body to be depressed and produce more depressing uh, chemicals. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right.
1: yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny that the body seems to re- the body really reproduces everything that we're focusing on most of the time. But but what I I, I, I say to people, it's something I mentioned just briefly a moment ago. is is, is never be afraid of, of a negative thought or even being depressed for a short for a period of time. Because short-term patterns of thinking and feeling do not don't actually do any damage to the body at all. I mean the, the body has a very well adapted capacity to regulate itself and, and balance itself. So even a couple of days of anger and frustration it is can be very, very healthy because you know, getting things out of your system, it's better out than in, so to speak. But it's the long-term patterns of thinking and feeling that can have an impact in the body so if a person was angry and frustrated all the time over a long period of time then that would certainly increase the the risk that that there would be problems in the body possibly even heart heart problems because they're classically associated with you know anger, hostility, aggression those kind of things and so it's it's nothing to be afraid of having a wee negative thought or even feeling depressed for a wee while it doesn't do any harm to the body, it's the overall long term patterns that that actually affect the body because the body does regulate itself and stabilise itself very very efficiently.
0: So is there a thing with the brain as well, with like a new neural net in the brain that kind of keeps jigging around and the more you train it, new uh, connections are made?
1: Absolutely, in fact, you know, scientists, neuroscientists call that phenomenon neuroplasticity. And, and it refers to the, the plasticity of the brain. And, and I guess a good metaphor that I sometimes use is we used to think the brain was hardwired. So like you get to like, you know, a, as you're growing up, the brain is changing and growing as you're growing. A, a bit like, you know, the way that a dough is moldable before you put it in the oven. But when the bread, but when you put the bread in the oven, the dough in the oven, it comes out as hard. It's got a crust on it, and that's it's it's hardened. And the the metaphor used in neuroscience is that because sometimes uh, what we used to think is when you get to about sixteen, seventeen years old, your brain is a bit kind of moldable up to that point, but then you it's almost like putting the bread in the oven because. Uh, The brain becomes hardwired after that point. And many people believe that when you get to that kind of age, the brain is hardwired, is impermanent, you can't change it. But actually that's been completely overturned. And it's more like the fact that you never put the dough in the oven. So the brain is constantly changing, you know, right up to the last, it's, it's changing like dough really, right up to the last seconds of your life. And it's changing around the things that you're doing your habits your you know what the things that you're thinking about even even your thoughts are causing this neuroplasticity and that's what that study i talked about earlier with the piano study when people were going plop 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 and their minds or on a piano that that was neuroplasticity in action people just imagining playing the notes was causing this neuroplasticity in the brain in other words the brain was growing and changing like a muscle so it's actually always changing and, and it's it's been I pointed out in a couple of individual papers that the average time it takes to to break a habit and rewire a different way of thinking and behaving is only 21 days. You know, so if a person has like an overall habit of acting in a certain way or thinking in a certain way, the moment they stop and commit to acting or thinking in a different way, some of the the connections, this neural net that you referred to, some of these neural neural connections in the brain begin to unpick themselves It's almost like you've got two trees beside each other and branches overlaying, overlaying, interconnecting the trees. And all of a sudden, the branches begin to pull back and shrink back, leaving a gap between the two trees. And that's really what's happening in the brain as you stop behaving in a certain way or stop thinking in a certain way, is that the neural net, the branches begin to unpick themselves. And then a different part of the brain begins to grow, like a muscle almost, And that's associated with the new way that you're behaving or the new way in which you're thinking, and branches begin to grow there instead. So a neural net then becomes more dense there. So you literally, you unpick some areas of the brain as you change your behaviour, and you you forge connections in other parts of the brain. And to tip from a dominance of one way to a dominance of the other way, on average, can take about 21 days. I mean, that's a a generalisation for the average person, for the average kind of state. But it definitely shows that that the brain does wire itself and rewire itself almost continually.
0: It's interesting because I've got an interest in autism. My daughter's autistic and I do a lot of research in it. And um, there's there's a book out at the moment called The Horse Boy. And the the guy who wrote it, his son's autistic. And what he found was when he got onto a horse, because he was constantly balancing, it was stimulating the brain somehow and he was able to speak and become a lot more coherent. Yeah. Um, there was another thing on the TV the other day about an autistic boy who couldn't read and write and he got into doing ballet and dancing and within nine months, he was reading and writing. So something. incredible. Do you see what I mean? The stimulation through movement is doing yeah. something in the brain, opening all possibilities up.
1: Absolutely. I, mean, I think there's so much that we're learning now that we never even conceived of before. I mean, the, the fact... that these examples you've given are showing that the brain has an incredible capacity to, to change and to grow. And it's, and, and you're absolutely right, it's, it's certainly not that hardwired thing that we used to think we had. I mean, even when I was at university from 1988 to 95, I had learned that the brain was hardwired. But it's only been in the last you know 10 years. In fact, since I left the pharmaceutical industry that a lot of the research in neuroplasticities came out showing that you know you're absolutely right the brain is constantly changing and and there's so much capacity there for change that we've never really considered before and those examples you've given that that should give hope to a lot of people that finding a a way around certain conditions is is absolutely possible
0: yeah no indeed it does it does um so another thing i just wanted to talk about as well you do some work with the like the is it quantum field? You do like Quant- a quantum kind of um, healing. Yeah. I've got a, quest- got a couple of questions I want to ask you on this because oh, go um, for it, yeah. I did ask some people to send some questions in as well. And right, um, Can I read them out to you? Of course you can. Yeah. Okay. Please. All right. So the first question is: um, I've been practicing getting into the quantum field to change things, but sometimes I'm not sure whether I have actually done anything because I don't feel any changes. Can you ask David how? D- Um, How do you actually know that a change has occurred and does it only occur if you feel something or it only requires the intent and acceptance that it has happened, a more knowing sense rather than a feeling sense?
1: Uh, That's that's a really good question. I think a lot of people get get kind of... hung up thinking that I've got to remember the exact process as I go inside the body and then I have to feel something. But it's not actually necessary. Although I, I talk about all the steps so you go inside the cells, then you go and, you imagine going inside the DNA inside the, the DNA, inside the atoms, to the to the the, the particles, in the night sky, and then you're at the quantum field. Uh, it's more of an intent process. What this is really doing it's it's focusing your mind in such a way that you're acknowledging, as we imagine going down to the quantum field, what we're really, what's really going on is that we're acknowledging that looking inside a disease or a condition, we're, we're acknowledging that it's not permanent because we're viewing it as waves of energy. Whereas if you look at a disease condition in the body, it, it's like a solid thing, perhaps, and, and it, it seems therefore more or less permanent. Or, or certainly harder to shift. But when we imagine going inside of it till we get to the quantum field, what we're doing is we're imagining it now as waves of energy. And deep within us, we intuitively know that a wave is not permanent. I mean, you can t- see that the next time you're sitting in the bath and you you see a wave, you, you make a wave with your finger and then the wave will dissipate. In other words, it's not permanent and you can also change a wave. So what we're really doing is we're acknowledging and don't even have to be thinking about this, So oh, it's not permanent thing. Your, your brain, your, your mind automatically acknowledges that this is true. So when we're doing a quantum field healing, what we're, by acknowledging this, what we're really doing is tapping into a, a state of belief inside our bodies. And as we know from placebo research, that believing something activates the power of it, really. And, and the question about, do you have to actually feel something? No, definitely not. It, when a person does feel something, all that actually does is it gives you even more belief that it's working. But if you don't feel anything, it doesn't mean there's nothing working. And if you can, even just acknowledging that you don't have to feel anything, uh, even acknowledging that is absolutely fine. That Sometimes you get the impression that nothing's happened when you start thinking, oh, I'm supposed to feel something. But if you keep thinking I'm supposed to feel something and you don't, then... You, the belief is actually kicking in in the wrong direction, so we're not getting the, the beneficial effects. The, the the best thing to do is just do it and trust that whatever you're doing is absolutely right, because because it is just a pure intent process. If your intent is to heal, then that's all that actually matters.
0: So, also another question we got as well: Can you can you just heal it and change the illness or the condition um, without actually knowing or understanding how to heal it, or having any nutritional kind of um, knowledge on it? Can you sort of be a lay person and just send the healing without understanding how it's healed?
1: Do you know, I think we do that all the time. I think we, we're continually healing our bodies and not even aware that we're doing it without having any knowledge of things. There's probably, I mean, there, there's disease causing situations in the body frequently that just appear and then disappear seemingly on their own accord. And, and many times the mind or, or attitude is, is probably playing a role and all that and I I personally feel that people don't really need to sometimes knowing too much about something can complicate things in our own minds because we we get this idea oh that's really difficult then there's so much there needs to be fixed but sometimes some people get better effects and visualizations when they know very little about something because their own mind isn't getting in the way thinking we'll have to heal this part then that part then that part and then these cells have to turn round to the left instead of to the right and sometimes just having a positive attitude or just saying right this is going away now I'm getting better and I choose to get better now just saying that sometimes is enough for people because it's it's giving that boost in their attitude giving the bodies that wee bit more energy
0: so what's, what's an easy way for people to get into this state you know obviously people do meditate don't they um, you know what kind of what could you give what sort of advice could you give on that to, to
1: get into the, the kind of quantum
0: field yeah
1: yeah, well, it's, it's really quite simple. All you're actually doing is, is imagining yourself going inside a part of your body and shrinking smaller and smaller and smaller until you're seeing the night sky. And and it, you, can, you can actually go directly to that point or you can go, imagine you're going inside cells and DNA, then atoms. But sometimes the more you do that kind of thing, you can just imagine closing your eyes, imagine the part of your body and then imagining you become so small you're immediately looking up at the night sky, and actually looking up at the, the tiny particles inside their atoms, inside the atoms that are, that are inside the body, and and that's you literally immediately at this place in this place which we call the quantum field, and you can get then a sense of of massiveness, of vastness, of expansiveness, uh, and that's the real, you know, that's the real shift that you make. The actual the steps people the steps I often tell people to do go down, imagine you're getting smaller through the cells, imagining the cells, imagining the DNA, imagining the atoms. That's just a process to help people to gradually get to that point. But really if, per, if people can just jump straight to the night sky in their minds and that's absolutely perfect. And it's quick as well. And I do that myself.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, meditation is the key, isn't it? Um, there's, yeah. there's studies that show that a lot of meditators can affect the, the crime rate. Apparently, there was a Mashahari effect where I think there was seven thousand meditators allegedly brought the crime rate down in a, in a certain area. Yeah. But have you heard um, about that study? Yeah, oh,
1: absolutely. Do you know it, it was amazing because it, it was at the Maharishi University of Management, and it was in Washington DC. And what they did, they had arranged for seven thousand expert meditators to meet in a convention center in Washington, and they were going to meditate on peace, or on the state of peace, the feeling of peace, and what peace is in the world. And and they were to do that for you know ten or twenty minutes. I forget the exact duration. But what they wanted to do was, a sci- because it was the Maharishi University of Management, they wanted to do a scientific study by looking at crime rates. So they en- enlisted the help of the FBI. And now the FBI at first thought, well, oh, this will be a lot of crap. What, who are these mad people? So they, they kind of, you know, treated it a bit of a joke at first. But when the results came in, it turned out that the crime rate of Washington had dropped by 25%, which is exactly what the, you know, what the, the Maharishis had predicted would, would happen. So uh, so that the, the FBI even co-authored the scientific paper with the Maharishi University of Management because they were so impressed by what happened. and it was jointly presented at the American Political Science Association, AGM back in 1987, I think or it was 1986. So that's, that's, the FBI made this a big thing by saying, look, we don't know how it works, we don't understand how it works, but somehow these 7,000 people meditating on peace lowered the crime rate of the city by 25%. It's
0: amazing, isn't it? So yeah. basically if someone was out there and there was an angry person, they were less likely to kill somebody. Yeah, you
1: know, it's almost like, do you know, if you drop a, like if you drop a stone in a, in a pond and you start to watch the waves ripple outwards? And maybe 20 meters away, there's a lily pad. And all of a sudden, the lily pad just rises and falls as the wave meets it. Now, the lily pad has no idea why it just rose or fell there. But what happened is it was hit by a wave. And maybe, and this is my belief, that maybe that we're all interconnected at a very, very deep level. And maybe there's waves of, of intelligence, of consciousness emanating from us all the time. And maybe 7,000 people generated a very, very large wave that literally went out symmetrically from that convention centre in Washington. And just like a lily pad feels a wave of a water, then maybe many, many thousands or millions of people in the city were gently stroked by a wave, so to speak, a wave of, in their own mind and their consciousness that for some people might just meant a change in the decision they made. In the same way that a bit of wind can blow on your face uh, and cause you to suddenly turn left instead of turning right. And, and I think something like that was going on.
0: It's incredible. Yeah. Are, you, are you familiar with the work of Cleve Baxter?
1: Oh, oh th- is that the, the, the plants
0: guy? It's the plants guy, but he did an, another experiment where he, he put someone's cells into a Petri dish and they, he wired them up to the, um, uh, you know, the, the light detector. Yeah. yeah, and then sent the guy across, you know, hundreds of miles. I think it was hundreds of miles. But he was out and about, anyway, miles away. And they asked him to make a note every time he was stressed happy or whatever right. and his cells in the lab um, reacted instantly to his See, emotions. That's incredible, eh? that's amazing, I mean I've, I've
1: heard a few stories like that but I hadn't heard that one in particular, but that, that is amazing, I mean I, I absolutely passionately believe that at a very deep level everything is interconnected, I mean absolutely everything is interconnected and literally of the whole universe is dancing to the tune of your thoughts mm. you know and the tune of your, your ideas and when you even imagine something that you really want to happen in your life, you're literally sending a wave that carries that image that carries that image with it, that carries your, your intelligence, your stamp with it, that carries your hopes and dreams with it. And that wave is touching people all around the world and touching things all around the world. And and sometimes uh, people who can help you suddenly find themselves for no apparent reason just just drifting into your life and you end up getting the things that you want because you've actually pulled people into you because they've been touched by your wave and I actually look at the world like this yeah. this is how I understand things
0: see, basically what you're doing when you're out um, giving lectures and you're telling people how it's all connected and everything yeah. right? and um, the way I, I think I see it is that the more people that believe this stuff and realise that it's possible yeah. can you imagine what that's going to do to humanity?
1: I, I know. I, I know. That there could be people talk about a tipping point, you know. When, but what would what would happen is, is, so many people would suddenly understand that their their mind matters. That what they think about matters. I mean, there's a there seems to be a, a growing swell of people who now understand, you know, that their thinking does actually affect their health. Their thinking does actually affect the circumstances of your life, and that's really c- emerged a lot in the last. Ten years, but even in the last two or three years, it's happened more and more. But what eventually comes out of this, as well, is people's natural tendency then to 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 express who they really are. And I think we're all spiritually, but also genetically wired to be kind and, and caring people. And I think what spontaneously arises out of us when we do like spiritual practices, which are associated with this, uh, is we we become more gentle. We become kinder towards each other we, we care for each other more and if and that is my prediction that, that the side effect of this change of understanding that we're all connected and and our thoughts matter in the world the side effect will be the world becoming a much more gentle and kind and compassionate place because that's naturally who we are and we're just literally expressing ourselves.
0: Exactly. So if you imagine the the seven thousand meditators, imagine if everybody was just doing that naturally. Yeah. It would just be that. I suppose that field of consciousness just be like um, a, a glorious day without any storm clouds, nothing. Yeah. To unsettle us.
1: I love it. You know. So that's a really great picture to send. There's probably <laughs> lots of people listening to this who are thinking of that picture. But that's a really great image to hold. You know, that an image of peace and, and compassion and kindness, the <laughs> clouds of compassion, the white wispy clouds of kindness and gentleness just floating around.
0: I mean, there's a lot of talk in this kind of New Age movement about ascension awakening in 2012. Yeah. But, you know, when you look at a pragmatic level, like at this level, you can see it. And, you know, I think in a way we could all be there right now, today, if everyone changed the way they think.
1: Absolutely, yeah. It's, it's just recognising that, you know, <laughs> that your mind does actually matter. But but then, you know, not only acknowledging that, but then expressing who you really are. And and deep within ourselves we are we are kind by nature, we are compassionate by nature, we care for each other or other by nature. And and the more people who understand that and who start living like that, then you know, we really could be living it right now.
0: So is there any kind of affirmations that help? People that to make you happy, you know, to because sometimes we forget. It's easy to sort of get into a bad mood, forget you know this stuff, and then before you know it, you're back to where you started. You know, do do you know what I mean?
1: I I, I know what you mean. I I use affirmations a lot. I mean, an affirmation really is just a, a verbal statement of what you intend to happen or how you intend to feel. So, like, if a person decides that they want to feel happier, then every day in every way, I'm feeling happier and happier. Or if you want your life to improve, my life is improving all the time. You know, and it's, it's something that you say whenever the thought pops into your head. And you'll find that thought, thought will pop into your head anything between half a dozen times and 50 times in a day. But what you do is you just say your affirmation. But very a very common one, the old classic, uh, created by Amy was uh, every day in every way I'm getting better and better and that's a very generalisation for health, for happiness, everything but it's really just a statement of what you intend to be true or, or what you want just you verbalising your hope or your dream and it doesn't have to be, it could be your hope or your dream of something you want to happen or it could be the hope of your hope or dream of how you want to feel or who you want to be as a person and you literally just state that as, as fact and state it every time the thought pops into your head. That's how Muhammad Ali, you know, using a a slightly different affirmation, I am the greatest, he became the greatest and that's, you know, many people have used, many motivational speakers have used that example because
0: it's true. Yeah, because it does seem a lot of sports people um, use the power of the mind, don't they? But, I mean, did they do that knowing there was this kind of connection that we know now or do you reckon they just did it intuitively and and it worked?
1: I think a a bit of both. I think uh, a a lot of them do it intuitively. A lot of them do it because their coach tells them to do it, and I know that from fact because I used to be an athletics coach. Right. I I was a coach and a team manager of one of the of the largest club in the UK, and uh, and I told, I asked my athletes that I was coaching to do visualization exercises, And, and. So many, many top athletes do it intuitively. Many do it because they've been educated by their coach. And what happens, some have read books on it. But the the evidence now is is very compelling. I mean, 10 years ago, uh, there wasn't anywhere near as much evidence for enhancing your athletics performance with visualisation. So people just did it because... uh, it, the coaches had recognised and athletes had recognised that when you keep visualising yourself performing at the highest level then it does somehow affect your performance and you do actually get better Whereas now the evidence in neuroscience shows why it happens, and it happens because the brain, when you're imagining yourself, say, running a perfect race, the brain thinks you really are running a perfect race, and the brain begins to grow like a muscle in the areas connected to the individual leg muscles that you're imagining moving, and that sends a signal to the individual muscles, so the individual muscles begin to grow. So we understand how it works now, but athletes mostly did it intuitively, or because their coach had educated them in it, you know, several years ago.
0: Yeah, because cause I used to play drums, I still got my drums, I don't play them as much anymore, but I used to have like uh, go really intense on it for about one or two days, oh, do yeah. nothing for about a month, go back in there, and the thing I, I struggled to play, I could instantly play it, no problem. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> and it's,
1: it's funny, because you, you try to do it a wee bit, but even just dreaming about it and thinking about it in the in-between time. Does wire the brain such that when you go back, you're an expert—not <laughs> yeah. quite an expert, but you're far better at it than you were
0: before. But my see, my drum tutor at the time, he said that he used to sit there on the sofa um, pretending to play the drums. Yeah. And you know, he wasn't a spiritual person, but he, he was just saying that's what he did
1: intuitively. Yeah. Intuitively, yeah. that's the intuitive. But yeah, yeah, and 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 it really, really makes a difference because whatever you're imagining, you're pretending to do is actually wiring your brain, and that's sending a signal to the actual muscles that you're imagining using, you, you know, so if you're imagining playing the drums then you're actually, your brain is sending a signal to the muscles and your muscles are actually twitching in such a way, at a sub microscopic level, but in such a way that the muscles actually get used to put moving in a certain way and the brain gets used to processing things in a certain way so that when you actually come to do the drums it's far far easier, I mean scientists have actually studied this for, for guitar playing, people who, novice guitar players, to imagine playing songs and playing chords and when they actually come to play the, the guitar they're much better than people who have not done the the, the, the visualization
0: fantastic so i know that you've got you got the mind body spirit coming up have you got anything else coming up this year where people where people can come and see you uh, Oh i've got so many events
1: <laughs> I, I, I can't count i'm, I'm actually at a, i've got the mind body spirit festival next about, that's the 26th uh, i've got Oh, I've, I've got another, work, another workshop in London actually on how your mind can heal your body, and that's in Camden Market at a place called Alchemy. And that's the first Saturday in, in June. And then the very next day, I've got an event in Cambridge with my, my friend Heidi Sawyer, who's a psychic, and we're doing a kind of joint event together called Past, Present, and Future. So, but I, I've got i really got about two or three speaking events per week all around the UK. So if anyone wants to find out you can either just check on my website which is DrDavidHamilton.com or check on my Facebook page or even follow me on Twitter and I usually list events that I'm doing on those things
0: as well. Yeah, so you're quite a busy man really aren't you? Getting the word out there. Yeah, yeah
1: sp- spreading, the, spreading the word. I, mean, I really love it though. I really love doing that and, and when I'm not giving talks I'm researching and writing new books. Cause I'm on a new book right now which I've got to hand to my publisher on the 31st of October because it comes out next May. So I really need to get more (laughs) (laughs) work. Because I've been doing so many speaking events, it's been a bit slow, the writing of it, but, slowly getting there
0: yeah well it's, it's all good anyway and yeah. um, you know people I speak to put you in hell, high esteem really the work you're doing because you're doing great service to the spiritual oh, community you know convenient. you're endorsing you're a spiritual scientific ally which is brilliant so. <laughs> 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 thanks very
1: much yes. I, I, just, I don't think about it I just really love doing this kind of stuff uh, yeah. and it's, it's such fun I don't even just chatting to yourself for the last 45 minutes or so it's been really really enjoyed it I just love talking about this subject
0: well I think more and more people are going to come forward you know in the scientific community aren't they the more people like you do that I think it gives more people the confidence and then and that's what we want to do I think we need to have a spiritual science where it's in harmony with each other rather than opposing each other
1: yeah absolutely giving people faith in themselves and then confidence to express themselves
0: exactly yeah okay well thank you very much Dave It's, uh, it's been my pleasure you know, really lovely speaking to you. And um, and I wish you all the best for the future and what you do.
1: Well, thanks very much. And I wish you all the best also.
0: Okay. Well, thanks, Dave. And um, Thank you. see you later.
1: Catch you later. Bye-bye.